Please join us as we're in Acts 13 this morning. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul and the work for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Cilicia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magi magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, <clears throat> opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You, son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see for the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Poseidon. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he has promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie.
Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which were which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found him in no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, that he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astonished, astounded, and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after a meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. All right. If uh, you were concerned after that that this is going to be the longest sermon you have ever heard, I promise you it is not. Um, uh, for those that are visiting today, I'm Tim and I'm one of the deacons here at Believer's Church. And uh, as you just saw, we're looking at Acts 13 today. Um, it is always a little weird to preach in a passage where you're basically just preaching someone else's sermon to then sit down and be like, well, here's all the things he missed, so let me make his sermon better. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to not do that. Uh, 
This is the first missionary journey, and not just the first missionary journey of Paul, but basically in, in the New Testament, this is what we see as the very first missionary journey going out. And so here they go to Cyprus and Galatia, Pisidian and Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Syria. So uh, the first thing I have here is that mission is grounded in God's command and the response of a church engaged in devotion. So Paul and Barnabas here are commissioned, uh, but they are commissioned in the context of a local church, and they are affirmed and sent out by that local body after praying and fasting and laying on hands. So I just want to note here that uh, the church body, that corporate worship is not just something that we do out of commitment or requirement or tradition, that God uses the church body to train and to equip and to send out ministers of the word to the world. It is through the regular practice of meeting together, of praying and fasting, that God spoke to the church at Antioch. And it was through that that he identified Paul and Barnabas to be commissioned and to be sent out as missionaries to spread the gospel. Also, that this, is, this calling is not just an individual calling. It's not that, that Paul and Barnabas were each off praying and God spoke to them and said, I'm calling you Paul or I'm calling you Barnabas and I want you to go and be missionaries and, and go spread the word. But rather that, that the church was gathering together, that they are praying together, they are fasting together, and, and that God tells the church he calls them, but he also tells the church in this so that they can affirm this calling and they can commission them and then they can send them. So the church at Antioch then was a sending church. They're not just sending people out into the mission field, but they're sending their best people out into the mission field. Um, being a sending church, a church that is committed to sharing the gospel, to training and equipping their members for sharing the gospel, for sending them out into the nation, that, that means that's a church that deals with sacrifice. That is a church that, um, that sees dear friends leave for years at a time. That's a church that is, is sacrificing the loss of, of great leaders and elders and deacons and ministers in the local congregation. It's a church that is, is sacrificing money and resources in their local body and their local community in order to send that out to the world. So Acts 13 is the story of a global movement of God spreading the gospel through the work and sacrifice of one church, of one church that is committed to coming together, to praying, to fasting, to laying on hands, to seeking God's will. And because of that time that they're spending seeking God's will, God is teaching them and showing them what to do. And as a result of their obedience, they are sending people out into the world. And again, this is the first example we see of a church specifically calling and commissioning missionaries and sending them out from that church to go on mission and spread the gospel. So in reading through this passage, all, 
the, the main thing that I, I kept coming back to, the thing that I want to see is, is that my prayer is to see us as a body to continue to grow in this, to, to grow in our prayer and support of the missionaries and their families who we are sending out into the mission field, to continue to grow in our dedication of praying for and identifying and training and equipping and commissioning and sending out further missionaries from our body. To continue to grow in our missional focus on the people of Hannibal and the surrounding communities. To continue to grow in, um, in taking our missional communities seriously. To gather together in prayer and fasting and seeking the Holy Spirit that he would help us to identify persons of peace. That there would be opportunities to share the gospel that we would be bold in our proclamation of the gospel and that God's word would be received and the gospel would change lives, both here in Hannibal and our surrounding communities and around the world. So now let's look at the passage. So, um, like I said, I'm going to kind of quickly run through this passage. It was a long passage, and uh, and I promise, like I said, this is going to be short. So, the first thing after that commissioning is that, that we see that they, they leave on the first leg of their journey and they head to Cyprus. And here they work with John and they're teaching in the synagogues in Salamis. And I have worried all week that I was going to call that Salamis when I got to that. So this sets the blueprint for what Paul does in most of his, in, in his journeys. When he arrives to a new city, he goes and he attends worship at the synagogue. Often they'll call on him and ask him to say something uh, because of his, his background and uh, his expertise in the scripture. He uses the Old Testament to point to the, the Messiah who has come and he preaches the gospel of Jesus. And then, and pretty much every time, the Jewish community then runs him off and he leaves and he goes to the city marketplace. And then in the marketplace, he... Uh, he makes these leather tents, and so he sets them up, and, and he sells these leather tents in order to fund his journeys. And during this time, anybody that comes through, he shares the gospel to anybody who will listen. And so, um, sorry, I lost my place. And then, uh, yeah, he would share with anybody who would listen. And then at this time, this is mostly Gentile people who are coming through. So he preaches first to the Jewish people, and sometimes there are people there that believe. Most of the time, um, that group in general is not believing him, and they run him off, and then he's sharing the gospel with the Gentiles in that city or the non-Jewish people. So it is also during this time that we learn that John Mark, who we heard from the passage last week, that he is assisting them during this time. And then they run into an interesting character named Bar-Jesus. So... Bar basically just means son of, and so this is used kind of like a surname. So, you know, your name would be your name, and if you're uh, a man, Bar, and then your father's name. So I would be Tim Bar Tim. But this is, uh, like I said, generally used kind of like the way that we would use a last name. And then Jesus, again, uh, is a very common name. So in a, when we read that, we just think of Jesus, but uh, you know the name that gets translated here is the name that in the rest of the Bible we just call Joshua. So 
Uh, for them, it's not weird that his name is Bar-Jesus. It's not like he's saying, I'm the, I'm the son of God, I'm the son of Jesus. Uh, and then his other name, Elemis, basically just means sorcerer. And uh, I think uh, the main thing here is just that, that God blinds Bar-Jesus, and then the pro-council hears about the gospel because of this, and he believes the gospel. So then John Mark leaves for Jerusalem, and Paul and Barnabas head to Pisidian Antioch. So in reading this, my first question was, wasn't, didn't they just leave Antioch? They left Antioch, and then now they're going back. So Antioch, it's a different Antioch, and Antioch is kind of like the Springfield of the ancient world. There are literally 17 different cities in ancient Turkey that are named Antioch. So this is telling me this is Pisidian Antioch that they're going to. So Paul and Barnabas, they go to the Sabbath worship at the synagogue, and after reading the Law and the Prophets, or the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, they ask Paul if he has anything to offer. And so Paul is like, yes, this is what I've been waiting for. And so Paul then addresses, it says, the men of Israel and those who fear God, or the god fears. These are the, the Gentiles who seek to worship Yahweh, but um, are not full Jewish converts. So mostly this is, these are the Gentile men who like to go to synagogue and are interested in worshiping, worshiping God, but are not interested in circumcision. So Paul walks through the Old Testament. And the, the first thing I saw here is that there's, there's a number of similarities here to the sermon that we saw from Stephen, where Stephen walked through the Old Testament. But where Stephen in chapter 7 focused on the rebelliousness of the Jews and against their appointed leaders, Paul uses it to show God's faithfulness to his promises to Israel and ultimately how God fulfills those promises in the Messiah of Jesus. So Paul recalls the Egyptian exodus, the 40 years in wilderness, arriving in the promised land, the rule of the judges, followed by the reign of King Saul, and then followed by the reign of King David. And then he says, Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And then Paul calls out the Jews in Jerusalem, and he says they've completely misunderstood this. They've misunderstood the promises that God made in Scripture, and because of that, they executed the Messiah who came. And Paul then makes an appeal to a number of Old Testament passages in Psalms 2 and Isaiah 55 and Psalms 16, all to say, to make his case that Jesus is the Messiah and to say that it was prophesied that the Jewish people would not believe when the Messiah came. And so then as Paul is leaving, the people then beg him, come back, speak to us again next week. And so Paul's, oh, of course, like, that's, that's the whole reason I'm here. I'll be glad to come back next week. So during the week, the word spreads about the things that Paul said. And when he comes back next week, basically the entire city has shown up and the place is packed out. And so at this point, the Jewish leaders get upset because, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're embarrassed, like, they're here, they're preaching every week, and the same people show up every week, and here this new guy shows up, and he preaches some different stuff, and now the whole city has shown up. And so they begin to sour towards Paul when they see the size of this crowd, and they begin speaking against Paul. And again, um, 
he says that it's necessary that the word be preached to them first. That way they can reject it, and then he can go and preach to the Gentiles. And here Paul quotes Isaiah 49.6 to emphasize that point. And then it says, And then the Gentiles rejoiced, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So much like how um, God was a major active agent in the calling of Israel to himself in that earlier passage and talking through the Old Testament and, and his sermon, he is also the active agent in bringing the Gentiles to himself. God's sovereignty and election isn't a cause for us to be passive in missions and evangelism, but even more, it should spur us to evangelism. We need not fear to be rejected or despised or screw up or say the wrong thing. And because I didn't say the right thing, now this person isn't going to accept Christ and they're going to spend eternity in hell because of what I said. But rather, we can, we can rejoice. We can say that, that uh, because we know that all who are appointed to eternal life will believe that the agent that God uses to spread the gospel is through his people it should spur us to boldness to spreading the gospel. Boldness to serving God, knowing that we can't screw it up. And yet, in this weird, mysterious way that God goes about salvation, that, that he chooses to use us as, as part of that. That um, God could, could do any number of ways to call people to himself and to bring people to salvation. But God chooses to work through us to spread his word. And again, because I know that someone's salvation isn't resting on if I'm going to say everything perfect, I can be bold in, in sharing the gospel because I know what I'm called to do is to go and share the gospel and what the Holy Spirit is called to do is to bring that person. So, like I said, this is a, a quick sermon. So, how do we apply this passage then? The first is that Paul and Barnabas didn't take off on a sightseeing trip. They weren't like, I wonder what's going on around the Mediterranean and let's just go sail around. But they left their friends and their family to face persecution and hardships in order to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to call others to repent of their sin and to surrender their lives to Jesus, whose death paid the penalty for our sin. So the number one application here is if, if that does not describe you, if you are not someone that would say, I have accepted Christ as my Savior, that I have repented of my sin, that I seek to serve Christ, like repent of your sin, trust Jesus as your Savior, because none of the other applications matter if, if that hasn't been done first. My second application is um, for us as a church body, let us commit as a church body to earnestly praying and fasting, to seeing supernatural movement of God within our community. We talk about the importance of prayer all the time, but I think for most of us, we, we can ask, like, how much time do I really spend in prayer? Do I really believe the power of prayer? Because if I did, how much more time would I be spending in prayer? And not just prayer alone, but prayer with other believers. As a body, we do have a regular prayer time. So if you have the opportunity, my first suggestion then is be a part of that. 
Um, also, we often neglect the practice of fasting as well. Uh, we're not going to spend much time on, on this today, but fasting is regularly mentioned in Scripture as a spiritual practice. And um, I know specifically uh, in my life that, that when I was uh, in the hospital this past year, and, and really struggling during that time that, that there was, was someone in the body who on their birthday chose to, to fast and pray for me. And that it was that day that things turned around and I began feeling better. And that, um, that God used that experience to increase my faith. So uh, my, my point here then is that I encourage MCs to come together over the next month to pray and to fast and to ask God to move within your group or towards a specific goal. And so um, that, that might mean practically that your, your group says, like, we, we don't know. We don't know what God is doing. We don't know where he's moving. And so your goal is to, to pray and to fast for God to show that to you. Um, or if, if you're, you, you feel that, that God has already been laying something on your heart towards a specific person, towards a specific people, like, then... Use this time to pray and fast towards that very specific goal. And then uh, our last application here is I want us to take time right now as a body to pray. Um, as I worked through this passage this week, I was like, I feel really weird to just get up here and preach a sermon and say that it is important to come together for prayer and fasting and seeking God and that because that he chose people and he sent out missionaries and then to just preach on it and sit down. And so um, I'm going to ask us together that, uh, do we have that slide, bud? That uh, I have uh, some points here. So if you guys want to gather together in groups uh, four to eight, don't focus on a number or whatever, just in, in some small clusters. And, and we're going to focus on praying and I, I have some points up here, um, basically four things for us to focus on. Um, the first is on our overseas missionaries and partners around the world, that, that we have friends who are serving, who are serving literally in the area that we're talking about right now, that we're talking about Paul and Barnabas going out on a journey and doing the very first missionary journey and spreading the gospel. And we have people from here over there right now working to spread the gospel. So let's pray for them. And there's some points here. Um, let's also pray for God to move among us and others um, to call others into missions. Let's pray that God would identify persons of peace for each of us and for in our MCs, that God would identify people that we are to be praying for, that we are to be sharing the gospel with. And then last on here, that, that we would pray for the people of Ukraine for strength and courage and perseverance as their home is threatened, for safe passages out of conflict zones, um, that we pray for, for the Christians there, that, that they're able to minister in, in extremely difficult dark times. And I don't have it on here on a slide because uh, I heard from Dinesh this morning, but Dinesh specifically said uh, to pray for me that I can do my work honestly in the fear of God, to pray for our new believers that they can come more close to God, to pray for 
all of our believers that they follow the path of the Lord Jesus and to specifically to pray for him as he has to travel to very far places to share the word of God so that God would protect him and guide him during that time of traveling and sharing the gospel. So uh, we're going to take that time now. So gather together as, as groups and pray. And after a bit, um, I'll end us and, and we'll transition into communion.